Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by our Mizzou beat writer, Dave Matter, who joins us from Columbia. Dave, we have plenty to talk about in this episode. It's that unique time of the year where college basketball and college football are overlapping, and it's never been more unique of a time than, than this as, as, as both sports kind of try to navigate their way through, through COVID. But we're going to spend not so much time on COVID and more time on Mizzou basketball and football. Um, this episode, we've got to break down the Vanderbilt win that Missouri had, and we'll look ahead for a very interesting game Saturday where Arkansas comes to town. Also, Mizzou basketball will play as of right now this evening against Oregon and Nebraska. We're recording this on a Wednesday morning, so by the time you listen to this, you might have watched that game already, but we'll get some early thoughts on the basketball team. But I wanted to start, Dave, with a question, um, and I think it's becoming more realistic as Missouri continues to play well down the stretch in Eli Drinkwitz's first season. What are the chances, what's the likelihood that if Missouri continues to win, maybe wins out the rest of the year, that it could finish Eli Drinkwitz's first season as a AP top 25 football team, or perhaps even ranked in the coaches poll or the college football playoff poll when it's all said and done. Yeah, they've got a chance. You know, right now, if you stretch out the, the uh, rankings in the coaches poll, they'd be 28th, um, right behind, I think, Auburn and maybe North Carolina. Um, I'm not sure who's, who's right ahead of them. I know Auburn's one of them. They're not getting any votes in the AP poll, which is a little interesting that the, the difference there, part of it is you got to remember coaches vote for each the teams in their own conference sometimes. So, you know, Drinkwitz doesn't have a vote this year, but several SEC coaches do. And if you just lost to Missouri or you played them <laughs> and you beat them, you may think, Hey, that's a decent team. I'm putting them on my ballot. Whereas AP voters look at three losses and maybe don't look a whole lot deeper than that. Uh, they, they still will play Georgia, you know, knock on wood. And that I think they'll be an underdog in that game. But if they win that and if they finish the regular season with three wins here going forward, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Georgia, then, yeah, I think they'll be ranked. And then, you know, get a nice bowl game. You win that you definitely would be ranked. I think four lost teams, you see them ranked sometimes. Um, but this is going to be year two where Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams aren't playing as many games. So there's going to be more teams with fewer losses that may, you know, get on somebody's ballot ahead of a four loss team or a three loss team. So it'll be interesting, but I think, I think absolutely there's a chance. And, um, you know, you watch them play recently, they've won four of five. You can make a strong case that they're one of the top 25 teams in the country. I didn't think we would be having this conversation, oh. uh, you know, before the season started. And it speaks to how well this team has played despite some, some hurdles that it's encountered. I think it's a, it says a lot about what Drinkwitz has done in his first season. I mean, shortened spring, not knowing this roster all that well. It sure seems like, um, you know, he has he's really outperformed expectations. I know he has, for me, I thought, hey, this year is about finding one big win that could kind of set the tone for this era. And they got that in LSU and they've kept moving forward since then. The latest example was just a complete domination of, of the worst team in the SEC in Vanderbilt, um, a shutout. There's been only two shutouts in the SEC so far this season, Missouri has one of them, and it came at the expense of, unfortunately, of, of Sarah Fuller, who was looking to try to have a chance to make a field goal um, as Vanderbilt's new kicker. Um, what was it like? Um, I was covering uh, SLU basketball on Saturday, so I wasn't there. It was the first Mizzou home game where I wasn't there with you in Columbia. 
what was it like to watch that play out? I mean, so much attention was being paid, rightfully so, to, to Sarah Fuller and this opportunity. But Missouri's defense, you know, said, no, we're going to make this not happen. And, and I mean, it was a, it was a dominant display of defense. And the more, the more numbers you crunch on Ryan Walter's defense, the more impressive it is. I mean, not leading the, this, the conference in things like sacks or tackles for loss or kind of those sexy defensive stats, but leading the, the conference in third down, opponent third down conversion. Yeah. They're top five at everything from total defense to the, the number one passing defense in the in the in the conference. And these are only against conference opponents. Um, this was a really, I think, a story that could have been about Sarah Fuller. And it really ended up being about Missouri's defense, as you wrote in your story from Columbia. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the closest Vanderbilt got to the end zone was Missouri's 33 yard line. That's a that's about a 50-yard field goal. She wasn't going to attempt a 50-yard field goal. There's no doubt about that. I'm not sure she would have attempted one anyway. I, you know, you watch her in pregame. You watch her at halftime. She she wasn't kicking from very far out. She made some. Others, she just looked like someone who hasn't done that before. And to her credit, she has not. She is a, she's a soccer player. Um, I, I thought, as far as the Sarah Fuller storyline, you know, I, I thought the only maybe unfortunate thing was just maybe some of the coverage of it. I thought what happened itself was a good thing. It was a positive thing. It was interesting for sure. Um, I thought Derek Mason deserves some credit for just thinking outside the box. He was in a really tough situation. I just felt like between Wednesday and Friday, it snowballed maybe beyond his control a little bit. Because on last Wednesday, go back a week ago, he, he said, she's an option. You know, they needed someone that could have a leg and to attempt some kicks and practice. And then social media kind of took over. And I think this is two points here that are being left out of this narrative that I think are really important. Just to have a nuanced, reasonable, rational perspective on this. For one, Derek Mason made it clear they were gonna have open tryouts for students on campus. They would have because their kicker was in COVID contact tracing, but it was Thanksgiving week. There, were no, there, there weren't students on campus. There was just the football players and the soccer players apparently. So he made a call over to the soccer coach and said, hey, do you have somebody we could we could use? Your goalkeeper, you know, they do those goal kicks, and those are a little bit similar to kicking off. Yeah, they had Sarah Fuller came out and tried out. And last Wednesday, he wasn't exactly, you know, um, gushing praise about her leg. He just said, yeah, she, she can kick. We'll see. And then Vanderbilt University social media went crazy on this. And I don't think – average fans realize this, they don't have a media relations department in their athletics department. They fired all those people this summer, downsized, and the university absorbed them. I don't know if a normal school's sports media relations department would have hyped this up as much as Vanderbilt's university did. And it kind of took on a life of its own. Then all of a sudden, the SEC Network is tweeting about it. ESPN, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. And I almost felt like Derek Mason was sort of maybe obligated to, okay, well now we have to follow this up and we have to let her kick and we got to travel her to Columbia. But I think even though if, if he saw what we saw, she wasn't going to kick a field goal, at least not a, a long one in that game. Uh, and then, you know, nobody, nobody really wanted to just kind of treat it for what it was. It was a cool moment. I mean, was this a lifelong dream of hers? I don't think so. I think her lifelong dream was to be, to be a soccer goalie and she's really good at that, but no one really wanted to give her credit for that. It was instead about, breaking the barriers in a football game, even though women have kicked in college football games. For some reason, just the fact that it's a power five team and 
calling Vanderbilt a power five program these days. <laughs> that seems like a stretch that seemed to give her some extra credit. Um, and then the announcement I had the game on in the press box and I, I kind of felt bad for Missouri because they weren't talking about Missouri at all. It was, everything was about the Vanderbilt kicking situation, even when it was, you know, 28 to nothing. So the story kind of took a, on a life of its own as, as it does in today's culture. And it, it, that leads to negative feedback on social media because people resist and they don't like, you know, so much positive talk and it begins a political thing and a PC thing. And, you know, you got these think pieces now coming out about what did Sarah Fuller mean? And I tried to just focus on the fact that, Hey, Missouri pitched a shutout. Their defense was dominant. And uh, you know, they, they've, they're, they're in a really good place right now. Well, I think the, from the Vanderbilt side of things, drawing a national attention to the fact that you can't get in field goal range probably yeah. wasn't the, the best idea. Um, what, what jumped out to me was the fact that, well, I come in from, from a u- unique perspective because, you know, to me, this was not like a moon landing. Um, yeah. I, I, was in, I was in high school in 2000. My last year of high school football was 2007. And we had a, uh, we couldn't, we didn't have anybody who could kick extra points like my football team, we had a guy who could kick the ball through the back of the end zone on kickoffs. And that was a guy that if we were, God forbid, we had to attempt some 50 yard field goal. He put on the old square toe boot. You remember those? And he could just kick it straight. And for a mile when it was a kickoff or like a long field goal where he didn't have to think, but if it was an extra point, he couldn't do it. Like he would, he could not make them. And we did not have anyone who could make them. We had a punter. We had a dude who could kick it forever, but we didn't have anybody who could kick like gimme putt shots. Um, and we were like, what are we going to do? So our coach was smart enough to call over to the girls soccer team and was like, Hey, can you send some, some, anybody who's interested will come kick some. And a girl by the name of Jess Greer came over. She's now with Washington state soccer program. And she liked it and she could do it in her sleep. Now she wasn't kicking 50 yard field goals, but we didn't need her to kick 50 yard field goals. She was kicking extra points. She set the school record for consecutive PATs made in a season. She was automatic. And, you know, still to this day, she's I just talked to her on, on Twitter the other day because I gave her a shout out. I mean, it's like everyone's going like no one was going nuts about Jess Greer when she was <laughs> when she was at Smith Cotton High School in Sedalia, Missouri. But my point is that, like, a lot of this was like, you know, the, the I think the PR behind it, because Vanderbilt had to have something to, yeah. to talk about. And it's not the reason Derek Mason got fired, but it certainly didn't help him to draw all this attention and then not be able to get her in the game. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm sure she could have made a 25 yard field goal. I mean, if you play, if you play SEC so- women's soccer, you can kick the hell out of something. So I'm, I'm guessing that she probably would have gotten a pretty good chance of, of, of putting that through the uprights. But the fact that they couldn't even give her a shot is to yeah. me is like, you know, that's got to be Mason's got to be kicking himself for the way this transpired. And now, of course, he's he's out of a job. Would he be out of a job anyway if they lost 41 to zero? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, they haven't had a win all season, but it was just a kind of a reminder of how things can spiral on, on, on a situation while also being great for her. And I, I know she's yeah. going to be, she's going to have a chance again on Saturday. Hopefully they can score. It's just sad that it's bummer for her that the team stinks out loud. But what really, what really jumped out to me was the fact that she diagnosed their problems in their locker room yeah. you know, at halftime. I mean, she's from a winning program. You know, they, right. Vanderbilt women's soccer is a, is, is a competitive team. And she walks into the, the locker room at halftime and says, you guys got to get it together. You know, no energy on the sidelines. There's no, 
And the fact that she spoke to the team about that at halftime tells me everything I need to know about that football team. Not because she's a woman, right? Because she's from a winning team. And she said, this doesn't look right. Yeah. And like, if I hear that as the Vanderbilt AD, I'm going, okay, time to, time to change. Because why is someone who's just new to this team? I don't care whether they're a woman or an alien. Why is someone, why is someone who's just new to this team diagnosing the problems with this team more than our head football coach? Right. And I think that, that, that was stunning to hear that come out in the, in the post-game comments. So it's just curious, you know, the way that, the way that played out. But I think that the story for me covering Mizzou is that this, this defense is, is as good as it needed to be. And this team just seems to keep getting better and better. Um, they're not flashy. They're not, you know, they're, their offense maybe at times hasn't been as high powered as, as Eli has hoped, but the defense has been solid. The offense has done enough. Bazelak has been really impressive. And I, I go back to what, you, I think, quoted Gene Chizik as saying on SEC Network, word is kind of out. Like, nobody wants to play these guys. Yeah. And right now we're hearing bold projections of something like the, you know, something like a meeting with Wisconsin in a, in a premier bowl game. I mean, it's not out of, out, of, out of line for Mizzou fans to be thinking they can be playing in a pretty, pretty nice bowl destination. I don't know if they'll be able to go and watch it, but their team yeah. could be playing in a nice bowl game if this team continues to ride this momentum out the rest of the season, especially – if it, you know, gets a shot against Georgia, I was talking with somebody the other day, said this, this Tigers team could beat Georgia. I mean, throwing the fact that the Bulldogs would hope to be playing in the SEC championship game. And also how many Bulldogs will have opted out by then. Right. I mean, we're right. seeing that more and more. I mean, that it will be a game where Missouri clearly would have more to play for if they end up making it up. And you're talking about that game being either December 12th or December 19th in Missouri. Um, I've lived in this state all my life. It's not warm. on December 19th and those Georgia players um, are used to playing in warmer climates you know I I remember they played in a I don't know if it was snowing but it was Kirby's first year I think they played I want to say the Liberty Bowl and the weather wasn't great they I think they won that game but still that's um, if you're a Georgia player and you're playing in a bowl game and not a championship you're not in Atlanta where Florida and Alabama will most certainly be you just got to wonder what that's going to, what that's going to look like. If you're a Georgia player, if you're Kirby smart. We're not going to go full Kirk curb street and say that uh, Michigan is going to, <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that the Georgia might pull a Michigan against Ohio state. And I think he said, wave the white flag, which he probably yeah. apologized for, but there is going to be some of that talk going on about how sure. invested some of these teams and playing in some of these late season games. If what they have in front of them, what they hope to have is not there. Missouri is one of those teams that has a lot to play for. It's not a national championship. It's not a conference championship, but it's a real impressive season in a year yeah. where not a lot of people were, were expecting all that much of them. So credit to them. It'll be interesting to see what goes on Saturday. Um, we got to touch on this, Barry Odom's homecoming. And, yeah. and I love the, the responses from some of the guys on Missouri's team who still love Coach Odom, um, but very much want to beat him. And I know he feels the same way. And he's going to love some of those quotes that came out. Truly, he'll be he'll be fired up about him. This kind of has the feeling of a game that could maybe be growing some of that rivalry momentum because of Eli Drinkwitz's success and because of Sam Pittman's. If you rank the SEC first year hires going into the season day, these guys would have been at the bottom of the barrel in terms of interest and, and, right. and betting on them. And here they are with this game isn't for SEC coach of the year, I wouldn't think, but it is definitely for SEC hire of the year. Yeah, I, I wrote that it's an elimination game for SEC Coach of the Year because okay. if, if Arkansas loses, they're going to be – that's six losses. You know, yeah. they, can't, they can't be 500. 
it, it's, I think Pittman's done a nice job there. He really has. They kind of lost a little steam. They've lost a couple in a row now. Hard to give coach of the year to somebody with a sub 500 record. But if Drinkwitz wins this game, you're assured of a 500 record in regular season play when the votes would be cast. Um, you know, that it'd be hard not to consider him. I mean, I, Saban will get some votes. I don't know. They won without him. They won the Iron Bowl without him. So maybe that takes some of the luster off Nick Saban. Jimbo Fisher is going to get some votes. Dan Mullen's going to get some votes. Um, but I, I think you win this game and Eli's under consideration and deservedly so for everything this team's been through and, um, you know, to, to get to, to five wins if they should do that. One thing, if they beat Arkansas, they still, even if they beat Arkansas and Mississippi State, they still won't have beaten a team with a winning record. And But that's not their fault. You can only play the games in front of you, um, have that bad loss to Tennessee. But the other two losses, Alabama and Florida, are, are playoff contenders. So more than a contender for Alabama. So there's nothing, um, no reason to be ashamed of, of what Missouri's done this year. But this game, really interesting. I think these teams are fairly evenly matched the way we look at them right now. Arkansas is so much better on both sides of the ball than they have been under Chad Morris. Kendall Bryles, their, their offensive coordinator, has revived the career of Felipe Franks. You know, he's, he's fourth in the SEC in just about every category, and one, two are Heisman contenders and Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. And third is Matt Corral, who plays in that crazy Lane Kiffin offense that throws the ball, you know, all over the place. But Franks is legitimately good this year. Um, and that's a credit to, to him, but also just, you know, having a new system in place. And then what Barry has done to that defense, uh, they still give up some yards. There's no doubt about that. They haven't looked great all the time, but they make up for it with the takeaways. They, they lead, they've been among the nation's leaders in interceptions all year long. I think after maybe two or three games, you can say some of that's luck. You play, uh, what, eight games now. That's, it's becoming a trend. And they've got two guys with three interceptions. And, and then a bunch more that have picked off passes too. So uh, they will be looking to capitalize on any mistakes that Connor Bazelak makes in this game. And the, the cat and mouse game is, is so interesting. We talked to a bunch of the Missouri players about it the other day and they brought up great points. They're like, Hey, um, Barry knows all the Mizzou players on both sides of the ball. Mizzou's defensive staff, they know Barry. So, you know, th th there's, there's some give and take there. There's going to be some intelligence gathering going on at both schools. And it's not just Barry either. Remember, Brad Davis, Missouri's offensive line coach the last two years, coaches that position. Arkansas, Sam Carter has been a defensive, I think, analyst was his role at Mizzou. He was on staff for a long time, and he coaches cornerbacks at Arkansas. Um, but and, and Pittman brought it up, too. He's like, hey, I've been in the SEC for a while. I've coached against Missouri for years. So he knows the, the, the personnel on, uh, on Missouri's defense for sure as an offensive line coach, most recently at Georgia. So there's a, there's a lot – in this game so many storylines Drinkwitz is from Arkansas Sam Pittman was a Missouri assistant my first year as a a full-time beat writer at the Columbia Tribune was Pittman and, and Bill Cubitt came in it was Larry Smith like was it was his Hail Mary he was trying to save his job so he went out and hired these two guys from Western Michigan where they ran this kind of funky offense that had a bunch of trick plays in it and the thing I remember about Pittman that first year everyone said he was a hugger he didn't, he didn't shake your hand. He met you and he hugged you. He was just this big lovable guy that had coached all over the place. He coached in Missouri before in high school or in junior colleges and high school. Also Trenton, Missouri, him and Andy Hill, both uh, coached in Trenton. And um, he was this great, great affable guy. I was so disappointed that he got fired. I would like to cover him some more, but you know, he's, he's developed this 
this career arc that where, you know, you think the guy's probably never going to get a coordinator job or head coaching job. Now he's Arkansas's head coach and, and he's done a really nice job. I think they, they seem to have a nice culture there. Hiring Barry was a, a, a good move, getting an experienced head coach in there to run that defense. We know Barry can run a defense. He's, he's done it before and he's doing it now. So this is, this game is a uh, really, really interesting. It's going to be interesting too. I mean, Barry coaches from the press box. We're probably going to cross paths with him in, at the game now from six feet away. Of course, I just I'm, I think he'll have his game face on. He'll be locked in. He's not going to be going around fist bumping the media. Maybe afterwards, but um, if they he win, might be wanting, he might be wanting win. to use his uh, his fist to do something else to the media after uh, what some of the things that was were written about him. Now, I had a chance to. He can't do interviews. Pittman doesn't right. let his coordinator do interviews, but I've talked to him a little bit, and he's he's really happy. I mean, his kids love school there. They're they're playing ball his boys and, and he just really enjoys it. So I'm happy for him. I mean, Barry, Barry was the kind of coach who is increasingly rare where he, you could cover him critically and he didn't take it personally. Um, at least in the long run, there were always going to be little headbutts and, and, yeah. and kind of um, divots in, in, in relationships when you cover someone and they don't win um, as much as they hoped to. And, you know, that, that can really become toxic, but to his credit, he's, he's a guy who gets it. And, and I think he's in a good spot. I think he's going to be a head coach again sooner, maybe rather than, than later. And I think he's going to be a better coach because of what he learned and, and some of the things that he had to work through at Mizzou. So, um, you know, I, I hope he's, I hope he's, I don't think he'll be listening to this, but I do hope we cross him across paths <laughs> with him on Saturday and get to, and get to say, Hey, in person, hopefully uh, Pittman's not giving anybody hugs in 2020. That no, be no. Um, maybe like the elbow bump or, or something like that. But it's going to be a good game, and it, and it should be a good game. And, and maybe this can kind of stir some of that rivalry juice. They got that big overcompensating trophy for this thing. It would be nice to have some actual, not bad blood, but but storyline. I mean, it'd be nice to have some something on the line here on the on the battle line. I guess we're we're calling it. But here's the thing: the last time we we kind of banked on a former coach bringing some some blood, you know, boiling temperature to the Arkansas-Mizzou rivalry in air quotes. It was it was when Mike Anderson went there and that didn't really pan out. So wow. this will, Barry will have to maybe, uh, maybe can, maybe Barry can fire in a peppery quote or something that can spice this thing up a little it, bit. It did. And Anderson's I think it was his first game back. Frank Haith tried to fight him. Remember on the court? I do remember that. Yeah, you're right. And they were kind of fizzled after that. I think that might've been more for show, but it kind of fizzled Frank, after that. I, I mean, I don't know that Frank Haith wanted those one of those hands of Mike Anderson. If we're really going to be honest, like I mean, the guy the guy is practically life metaphor is about getting in a fight with a bear. Like, I don't know that. I don't I know that it, wants that smoke Mike's, from CMA. In Mike's last year at Arkansas, when he would come into Mizzou Arena, like the antlers would still sort of boo him, but it just kind of died down from there. He kind of lost its uh, it lost its oomph for sure. That the I don't know, but I don't know how that'll work with with this matchup it'll be I, I wish and Drinkwitz made this point Tuesday gosh it'd be nice to have a crowd for this game because if you want to yeah. have a rivalry he really wants to build up this rivalry he took jabs at Arkansas in the offseason we all remember yeah. Yeah. hard to do when you've only got you know 10,000 fans or whatever there but you know you, you it'll only can you got to make do at this point all right well we'll be there on Saturday with coverage for stltoday.com and the pages of the post-dispatch quickly Dave and, and then we'll jet here but you know I, I feel kind of awkward talking about Mizzou basketball because there's going to be a game tonight we're recording this Wednesday yeah. morning and we, all we've watched as of right now is the game against 
Oral Roberts, so we can't break down the, the Oregon game, but this is a, an important game for Mizzou, perhaps more so because of the, kind of the, I guess, the dimness that's been put on that Wichita State game that will follow. If that game would have been played with Greg Marshall at the helm in Wichita with a packed crowd, that would have been a much better game. Now he's fired and they're under COVID protocol. We'll see if they get out of it in time for this game on Sunday. Instead, But Missouri was able to salvage its ranked game against Oregon in Nebraska of all places after this Mohegan Sun event cratered. Um, this is a pretty significant game for us to kind of get a feel for what the Tigers are really about before they play what is now a fifth ranked Illinois team in Bragganrights game in a, say, in a very much socially distanced Mizzou arena um, for, for, for that game later. This will be a, a really good litmus test for how the Tigers are going to be able to hold up against that really powerful Illinois team. Yeah, for sure. And it's Oregon team. They're picked to win the Pac-12. They won it last year before college basketball halted and stopped. Um, but they do replace four starters, in, including Peyton Pritchard, who was the Pac-12 player of the year, first round pick to the Celtics. Uh, but Dane Altman, and Conzo made this point this week, you know, he always brings in guys that can step in right away and score. Um, they've got some, they've got a couple pieces coming back from last year that scored in double figures. They added two transfers. They've got Eric Williams, who is a transfer from Duquesne, played against SLU for a few years, and Missouri recruited him, had him on campus, I believe, and tried to get him um, to be uh, to join the team. He, he's now eligible, so we'll get a look at him. They've got a transfer guard from UNLV, another guy that Missouri at least was in on at some point. So they're a little familiar with the personnel. Um, you know, that's the that's the trick for the Tigers. They don't have they haven't watched this Oregon team play. On, they don't have film of them. So like Conzo said, what you got to do is you basically scout for Dane Altman. I mean, he's, they, they know here's a guy that's coached forever. So he's got a track record. They know what to expect from him. And then you just adjust as the game goes on. But that's, that's what this year is going to be like. You're not going to have real, a lot of time uh, to study for some opponents when there's going to be interruptions in the schedule. And you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to just kind of figure it out on the fly sometimes, but it is a good game. It's a really good test. Credit to Dane Altman. You know, he was former head coach at Creighton. He, he tried to get a game against Creighton. It didn't work out. So instead, he just got, this, got the arena and went and found two opponents and, and called Missouri and said, you know, they were supposed to play up in Connecticut. Instead, hey, let's play in Creighton or let, let's play in Omaha. And then, uh, and then Oregon's going to stay in town and play Seton Hall on Friday. So they got two good games out of it. Missouri got a good game out of it. Missouri's still looking to add a game Conzo kind of said they have it all but finalized he wouldn't say who but they're still taking calls from people who want to play he's, he, Texas Tech was one he said uh called this week to try to get a game and it just didn't work out with Missouri's schedule so uh, it'll be interesting to see how many non-conference games they'll they will have actually played when SEC you know, schedule tips off in in four weeks already so uh it's it's going to be a wild month Interesting stat so far. Jeremiah Tillman, one game played as of recording this, one foul. Yeah. That's a that's a good average. If if he can keep that up and play 25 plus minutes per night, then Missouri will will like its chances against any of the teams it will face. We'll see if that can hold up against Oregon. Dave, we'll catch up next week. I will see you on Columbia for Arkansas game on, on Saturday. And until then, encourage folks to check out all of our podcasts. They're easy to find stltoday.com slash podcasts. If you have an app that you use for your podcast, you just search for Eye on the Tigers podcast, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next week.